0: You're listening to the Detroit is Different podcast network. Bismillah, Rahayn, Rahim. Welcome back to another Care Michigan podcast. This is Dawood with you. And along with me today are Aisha and Amy. as-salam. Alaikum.
1: Walaikum, Asalaamu Alaikum. Wa-alaikumsalam. Wa-alaikumsalam.
0: So, uh, today's podcast comes less than a week of a tragedy that has not only grieved Muslims in New Zealand, but all throughout the world, including here in Michigan. So um, this past Friday during prayer services, there were two mosques that were attacked by a white supremacist. And in the process, there were 50 Muslims, ranging from the age of three to 71, who were murdered, and about 20 others who were critically injured in the hospital right now. And this uh, white supremacist who attacked the, uh, these two Islamic centers wrote a very thorough manifesto in which he repeated many of the talking points of the global white supremacist movement that has really spread throughout not just um, the West, but also Eastern Europe as well. And he also referenced the President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, Uh, calling him a a symbol uh, of common ground and white identity so this uh, issue has really affected us uh, deeply here at at care Michigan I'd like my uh, two colleagues starting with uh, with Aisha to share some thoughts about this uh, great tragedy Aisha,
2: you know it it was really extremely difficult to process what was happening. Um, I know that many of us in the West and in the U.S. and Canada on the East Coast were hearing the news throughout the night and just sort of like closely following and, you know, hearing and seeing the toll um, of those who lost their lives just keep rising and rising was just really, you know, deeply painful and very hard to follow Um, and just thinking about the sheer number of people who were impacted by this man's um, violent uh, and hateful actions, and just really sort of looking at it from the lens of being Muslim, and having that shared identity, and experiencing the level of Islamophobia that we have been experiencing in this country. Um, And I think that many people who are following this were, I would say, not as shocked unfortunately because I feel like we've come to a, a critical point where ever so often you know every couple of weeks there's a great tragedy and and our communities are being desynthesized to the levels of violence that are happening against minorities, whether it be you know the mosque uh, with Muslims or, uh, or the synagogue, um, Sikh temples, so on and so forth, black churches, like we're seeing this more and more frequently and although it deeply impacts us and, and it and it really resonates with many of us, it gets to a point where, many are just desynthesized and I think that that comes from you know folks sharing the live streams and and really just becoming accustomed to normalizing black and brown bodies um, and normalizing this sort of violence against our communities Um, and so this time I've seen a lot of scholars, academics, so on and so forth push back against sharing these videos and really trying to respect the dead and, and trying to stop this normalization of you know, assaults on our communities and sort of push back against this desynthesizing that's happening. Um, but again, just to, you know, bring it back to the human aspect, uh, just following the profiles and the stories and thinking of, you know, the individuals who lost their lives. I think one of the youngest was about three years old. I believe um, he was from a Somali family and I and I myself am Somali. And just looking at his story and his photo and thinking about you know my own nephew who's that age it was you know deeply impactful not to say that any life is more important than the other but it's just you know when you have that shared history it's, it's even more uh, sort of impactful to you on a personal level so it's just been processing a lot of that and um even though as an organizer activist i've been deeply impacted by watching this and seeing my brothers and sisters lose their lives in such a violent manner um i understand that i also have to step forward and uh you know step and create sort of a space for um, people in our community to be able to grieve and to be able to process and to be able to um, think about these issues. Uh, Yesterday, after our care banquet, uh, a few of us got together and hosted a vigil and qiyam um, at one of our local mosques. And just hearing the young people in our community really um, share how deeply impacted they were was also heartbreaking to see, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old teenagers talking about the fear that they have and, um, sort of this hopelessness that they have, um, inhumanity is, is, is just extremely heartbreaking. Um, but those are just a few of my initial reflections on this great tragedy. Amy.
1: Yeah. So, um, I have two, two young children, 14 and nine years old, and this, um, this is really their first experience in a tragedy that hits home in such a way where, you know, they recognize themselves in, in the victims and they recognize that these victims, were attacked for having a characteristic that they share, and which is the the, the Islamic faith, and. It, it, it's hard for them, and it's hard to explain it to them. And you, last Friday, my nine-year-old didn't want to go to school. He was afraid, he goes to an Islamic school, he was afraid somebody would come there. He begged me to call his teacher and ask his teacher to not send him to Juma because he was afraid somebody would come into the mosque. And we, I had to have a conversation with my nine-year-old about how we can't allow this violent individual to have all of the power, right? We have to be able to take the power back from him. And and what taking power back from, from such a tragedy looks Looks like it looks like you know continuing on to to serve our faith as we're as we're ordered to and commanded to and to rely on God and to make sure that our mosques are full because what he wanted was for our mosques to be emptied to, to create this fear and by Leaving the mosque and, and leaving the religion, the religious practices. What we're really doing is is giving him the power. And um, I don't know if you guys read, but I read this beautiful poem that was written by I believe a Chinese revert, where she talks about the victims and the the way that they, the the martyrdom of the the victims, and she's really trying to educate this this you know the community at large. And this white nationalist telling him, like, look what you think that you've done. You think that you've you've killed these people and that you've you've harmed them. But really, because of this, you, maybe it's possible that you've elevated their status with God. And by doing like the way that you did it, you think that you did it in the worst possible way because you found out that. Um, When we pray and and when we're going to be at the mosque. But by doing that, you also found out like the most sensitive time for these people to pass away when they're doing something religious. And how like we talked about how that's like taking the power back. Right. So he thinks he's done this horrible thing. And it is a very, very horrible thing that he did. But these these, uh, inshallah, these victims will be, will be considered martyrs. So he he did a horrible thing that that may lead to their forgiveness, and and that's like the return of power to our people. You know.
0: Thank you for sharing that, and um, you didn't say explicitly, but also um, just to clarify, and and as Muslims, you know, it is our belief that. Uh, really, no one dies before their time. You know, I, I hear that said, said sometimes in the broader American society that, you know, they die way too young or die before their time. And we we believe that uh, the angel of death has our date that's written down this mektub and in uh, things that could look like a uh, very tragic on the surface, at least for us and for families who are grieving. Uh, for those people it could actually be uh, a hidden mercy Uh, but with that um, i want to move to the issue of security because our beloved prophet peace be upon him told us to take the proper means of protecting our interests and simultaneously trusting in god and we know the hadith right tie up your she camel and also trust in god at the same time to protect your she camel running away or being stolen right so within that uh context we do know that uh islamic centers throughout the area have increased their own security um some are many already had uh, security measures in place including armed security guards beforehand uh, to act as deterrence we know that mcws and Canton they've had armed security guards for 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 years now uh, other Uh, Islamic centers in our area, Muslim Center, Masjid Wai Muhammad, uh, normally have security for community events, Um, and we do suggest for Islamic centers to review their security measures and to make sure that they have some sort of security, Um, especially during the the Friday prayers, the Eid prayers, and during the nights of of Shah Ramadan, which Ramadan will be coming up in about a month and a half. But We'd also like to discuss and bring something up that's probably a little more sensitive to some of the listeners, and that is there have been police departments as well as Homeland Security and the FBI have reached out to mosque. And we've seen some Muslim leaders praise the law enforcement entities for coming to the Muslim community to stepping up patrols um, as uh, seeing this as something as a, a meritorious thing. Whereas, you know, law enforcement should be doing their job anyway of protecting and serving the community, being uh, peace officers. But there is uh, this is a double edged sword. Right. And uh, as far as on the one hand, looking towards security from law enforcement, which they're not going to keep on uh, patrolling our our mosque in the same way, by the way, for those who are listening. They did it this past Friday. They may do another one or two, but they're not going to be at our mosque 24-7 this way and, and trolling have such a, a, a large, um, they're, going to, they're, they're going to subside doing what they're doing and we need to uh, protect ourselves. But also how law enforcement has used tragic events or have used opportunities uh, that have taken place in the Bar Society to try to develop relationships in our community for intelligence gathering and for... Um, cultivating informers within inside of our community. So, uh, Amy and Aish, I'd like both of you to speak on this, starting with you, um, Amy, to talk about how law enforcement, Homeland Security, FBI, um, as well as the Dearborn Police Department that's been involved and gotten funding from the Countering Violent Extremism Program, how they've been involved in some very uh, problematic um, measures and issues with inside the, the Muslim community.
1: Sure. So anytime we're inviting law enforcement into our community, it's like a double edged sword because we do have a a need for them. We have to rely on them to um, protect and serve our community in times of need. However, as we as we know, um, black and brown people are often over policed anyways, they're over patrolled are over policed um, in, in America. So inviting law enforcement into our community could lead to some very unpleasant and unexpected consequences. For instance. Uh, unwanted and unwarranted interactions with law enforcement that could lead to criminalization, further criminalization of people in our community, further criminalization of the immigrants in our community um, who may or may not have uh, status in in the United States. Um, Specifically, problems with um, federal government law enforcement coming in. Um, Federal government has been proactively, even before this event, um, coming into our community and offering to install security systems, involve in, including cameras into our mas- masajid under the guise that they're helping us with security, but they're using. They could use that conceivably also to gather. Information about who's frequenting the mosque. And we know through the work that we've done and through empirical data that Muslim communities are surveilled at a significantly higher rate by the federal government than, than other communities.
0: And actually, we know that Dearborn, Michigan, per capita has more people on the suspected terrorist watch list than any city in the United States of America in which the Dearborn Police Department, as part of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, have been working hand-in-hand with the FBI in uh, in through their CVE funding and their uh, and, and their relationship, and then I I'm just reiterating this, uh, not saying that we're uh, nothing personal against the chief of police at Dearborn, which I've known for many years, even when he used to work with the Detroit Police Department. But it's just a uh, a reality relating to uh, that. It's nothing personal about any one particular officer or any FBI agents, but. Uh, We have the data as a civil rights organization that we just can't uh, uh, we just can't take everything just as simply being goodwill without reminding community leaders that we have to be also on guard about the civil rights of our community, while at the same time we are concerned about our personal safety, and we can't give up our civil liberties or put our hands down or, or put our guards down uh, because we're in this moment of, of uh, anxiety right now. Um, uh, Aisha, can you uh, give us some more comments because you're very familiar with, with CVE as well as the, the usage of, of law enforcement to capitalize on these types of situations to try to cultivate informants while uh, people feel vulnerable.
2: Absolutely. I echo both of the comments uh, made by yourself and Amy on this topic. We've seen this time and time again um, when our community is impacted or extremely vulnerable. um, We'll see folks invite in law enforcement and oftentimes... It'll just be a continuation um, or an increase in the surveillance that the community has already been facing. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia uh, for part of my childhood, and immediately following nine eleven, you know there were a lot of you know hate crimes and things of that nature against our community. Um, but at the same time, there was increased presence of you know the FBI and law enforcement, and many in the community, you know, were sort of. Not thinking that that was a direct threat, but that in and of itself was very harmful and probably more harmful than you know some of the vandalism and, and things of that nature because we did see a lot of people in our community become criminalized um, and, and and face a lifetime in, in prison and so on and so forth. and that comes from um, inviting that, into your into your religious space and oftentimes it's not even by invitation um i know that there was also a lawsuit um because the fbi had placed uh illegal surveillance tools um within the mosque and so i think it's a really complicated issue i know that humans uh, it's our nature to want to have that sort of support um, but we have to be very careful where we're trying to seek that support from because someone may seem like they're there to support you but they can also be surveilling you um, using you know really awful tactics like entrapment to break up your community and create uh, mistrust um, and lack of unity because you're now thinking who in this community could potentially be an informant and so i think that those are all things that we need to really think about um it's not paranoia there's a lot of money behind these systems and structures uh to actually break up um movements not only movements but uh just the mosque and and, and your community at large so i think it's, it's important to be critical
0: so with that uh, we're going to conclude this uh episode of Care Michigan podcast, but we ask all of the listeners to uh, pray for the martyrs and pray for the families of the martyrs and to read the Quran and make dua with the intention of protection for our Muslim community here in, in Michigan and throughout America. And uh, with that, we uh, ask you to also pray for us at Care Michigan and the Care family that is standing up for your rights and trying to give a a balanced voice uh, to the uh, American Muslim community as far as uh, engaging the society without uh, delving into respectability politics and basically giving up our honor and giving up our identity just to be uh, people-pleasing. That's not the way we do things uh, here at Care Michigan. With that, we sign off and see you next week at the Care Michigan podcast. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Wa You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network.